0: Promise, we hear that word a lot in our world. Computer programming term, it's a behavioral sciences network. Promise is an internet provider. It's a Department of Human Services program. There are promises, promise rings whenever, whenever couples are thinking about getting married. And we especially hear the word promise... In the Bible, 8,810 times the word promise appears in the Bible. 8,810. And the book of the Bible that, that the, word, the, the word promise appears the most in is the book Deuteronomy, the book of our sermon series. Moses was speaking to the next generation. They were about to get ready to go into the land of Canaan. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses, an old man now, long gray hair and long gray beard, he is not going to get to go into the land with them. And so he is giving them a farewell address. And it's the next generation. It's It's the kids and the grandkids are the ones that died in the wilderness. And so Moses is speaking to the next generation. And it's recorded, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 40. And so that is our sermon series. Moses speaks today. Over the course of eight weeks, we're looking at all 40 verses Because what Moses had to say to them that day is exactly what our culture, our world, our churches, and Christians need to hear today. So we're looking at it closely. And as we come to verse 25 this morning, the word promise is central. Because they're on the edge of the promised land, and Moses now gives them promise. Two promises, starting in verse 25. Read with me. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over, the Jordan, to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone with the work of your human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you, in the latter days, you will return to the, land, to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So as the Israelites on the edge of the promised land, Moses stood there, looked at them, and he said, I want to give you two promises. One promise is a, is a negative promise of consequences, kind of like saying, if you do that, I promise you'll regret it. My mother told me that a lot growing up. But the other is a positive promise of hope. If you do this, if you return to me, I promise I will receive you. So so Moses looked at them and said, there's a negative, I promise you'll regret this. But there's a positive, I promise I'll receive you. So let's look at both of them and see what he had to say. First of all, the, the negative promise of consequences. Letter A on your outline, the promise if you turn away from God. The promise if you turn away from God, I promise you, you will regret it. Now, here's what's interesting about our passage. There are no imperative verbs in it. Usually, every Sunday, we've had at least one imperative. An imperative is a command. So so when Abraham Moses, speaking to the crowd and he gave them an imperative, it's something that you need to do, but there are none here, verses 25 to 30. They are all indicatives. That means indicative is, that's, that's just how it is. So what Moses is telling them is it's just what's going to happen. So listen to me. Dr. George Sweeting was pastor of several churches through the years and president of, of Moody Bible Institute and editor of Moody Monthly for a while before his death. He said that one-fourth of the Bible is what's called predictive prophecy and that Moses here for the very first time introduces predictive prophecy to Scripture. And what that means is he's standing before them saying, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. And it happened. Listen to what he said. Now, gang, whenever you get ready to possess the land, you're going to go in. You're going to have kids. You're going to have grandkids. You're going to settle into life. And forget God. You're going to forget the covenant you made with your God. And and as a result, you're going to fashion idols by your hands. And you're going to end up worshiping the idols. It's just going to happen. And you know folks, I, I see that happening today. People get comfortable in life. They have kids, they they get involved in their kids' activities, and then their kids are grown, and and they have kids. And then you're involved in your grandchildren's activities, and and life just happens and goes along. And all the time, you've turned away from the passion God desires in your life. Happens. You come to church, you you attend Sunday school, you, you listen, and you applaud, and you listen to the sermon, and you sing out. And and then you go home, but there's never really a a passion to your relationship with God. You just entered the land and had kids and grandkids and settled down. And that's a dangerous place to be. You know, there are a lot of people on our church rolls that um, they just kind of settle into life, and they're not here anymore used to be here. They used to be faithful, they used to be Sunday school teachers and deacons and, and now they're not even here. I, I, was, I was going over our church role the other day and just kind of looking down and and I, of course I've been here long enough that I've, I've seen a lot of people come and go through the years and, and I noticed, I noticed how many of them raised in our children's ministry, and learned Bible passages and and went through our choirs and went through our student ministry and they went to our camps and they went on our mission trips and then they they graduated and, and they never returned to God. And they're not here now. They're not anywhere now. They settled in to the land and they just forgot God. That may be some of you. And Moses warned them what happen. Now, look at verse 25. Look at the action words in verse 25. If you act corruptly by making a carved image and by doing what is evil and provoking him to anger, you see those action words. And sometimes it's those action words that lead us away from God. And so as they're listening to him and he's telling them, here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be tempted to just settle in. So, so I, I want to I call people as a witness against you. So now the scene shifts in verse 26 to a courtroom. Imagine you're in a courtroom. Moses is, is trying to have the people imagine. I, I call two witnesses to the stand against you. Witness number one, come forward, heaven, heaven. And witness number two, come forward, earth, heaven, earth. Would you listen to what I'm telling the people? So as they go through life, when they forget you and they look up at heaven or they look down at earth, they'll remember those were witnesses at my trial. So important, Moses Wanted the entire universe to listen to what he was saying. Back in biblical days, the ancient Near East, whenever nations would make contracts with one another or covenants with one another, they would would call their gods to witness the contract. Most nations were not monotheistic. Most most nations had many gods. They're they're pluralistic. And so they would would make a, a treaty with another country and both countries would call their gods to be a witness. But Moses called two of the most permanent, unchanging things the Israelites would know, heaven and earth, to be the witness. I want you to hear this, he said. So listen to verse 26. Moses said, so if you walk away from God in the promised land, you will perish from the land. You won't be there long. Now, whenever they heard that, they probably were shocked. They'd been waiting since they were that high to get into the land. They'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. Their parents and the grandparents, they're just carrying them along the wilderness. These were just small at the time. And they're wondering, when do we finally get a land of our own? And Moses is standing before them saying, if you get into that land and forsake God, he's going to kick you out of the land. And they probably went, What? But it had happened before. Go back to Genesis. Chapter 3. Moses, uh, Adam, Adam and Eve. And they sinned against God and forsook God. And, and, and he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And then you turn one more chapter later to Genesis four sixteen. happened again. Cain had killed Abel. And, and God banished him from the land to the land of Nod. So God had a history... If you were unfaithful, you didn't get to stay in the good land. And, folks, there have been many people who have forsaken God, and whenever you do, you leave the good land. You go to the barren land, the land where life is hard and where you can't hear from the Lord. And some of you today, Have left that good land. Notice what Moses said next, verse 27. He told them what would happen. So, So, God was going to expel you from the land, He's going to scatter you among the nations, and you will be few in number. Now, time out. I have a spoiler alert. Let's peek into the future. what happened Israel went into the land had kids had grandkids and got comfortable this was about 1400 BC when Moses spoke that if you go two generations forward you arrive in judges and when judges opens We're told, there arose a generation who did not know the Lord, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It happened. And then if you go a little bit further, God took the Israelites, because of their sinfulness, they'd worshiped other gods. Because of their sinfulness, he had another nation, Assyria, come in, capture them, and kicked them out of the land. So 10 of the 12 tribes were gone to Assyria. And the other two didn't learn the lesson. So Babylon came along behind them, expelled the other two tribes, kicked them out of the land, and guess what happened? They said, you're going to be scattered. The diaspora, they were scattered. 10 of the 12 never came back. They assimilated all over the world and two of the tribes eventually got to come back somewhat until the Romans expelled them again. Exactly what Moses said happened and they became few in number. Fast forward to today, most of Israel scattered around the world, 15 million Jews Only about 2 million of them are are worshiping their God on a daily basis. 2 million out of the world, let's see, that's percentage-wise 0.025% of the world. They are really few in number. What Moses said happened. Verse 28, here's what Moses said. Whenever you leave the land, here's what's going to happen. You've turned away from God, so you have no other option but to worship idols. You've got to worship something. there's, There's something innate within man that you worship something. And if you don't worship the God of heaven, you'll worship something else. So Israelites, here's what's going to happen. You're going to turn away from God, and as a result, you're going to turn to idols, and your hands are going to make wood images and stone images, and you're going to bow down and worship those images and think of how ludicrous it is that something you made with your hands you think is more powerful than you can control your life. That's ridiculous. Because what you're fashioning is a God who has eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, mouths but can't speak. You'd be better off to worship an animal. At least they can move. In Psalm 115, David repeated that later whenever he said they worshiped idols with mouths that couldn't speak. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. They had noses, but they couldn't smell. They had hands, but they couldn't feel. They had feet, but they couldn't move. They had a throat, but it could not make a sound. And folks, for the past two weeks, we've been drawing the analogy of their idol worship and our idols as well. Because you know what? We still have idols today. God's people do things we create, and things we worship. I shared with you a couple of Sundays ago that it's really easy to find out where your idol is. Very easy. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? What do you talk about? Answer that question, and all three, you've, you've identified your idol. Where you spend your money? Where you spend your time? And what do you talk about? I shared with you that my idol for the first 19 years of my life was sports, particularly basketball. It took God's rightful place in my life. I loved sports so much. I'd go to church on Sundays, but I was, I was worshiping sports. Some of you may be worshiping sports. Some of you may be worshiping another person, maybe your spouse, maybe a girlfriend, maybe a boyfriend. Maybe your children, maybe you worship them. Maybe your grandchildren. Maybe they're your idols. Maybe going to the lake is your idol, maybe RVing is your idol, maybe golf is your idol, maybe computers or the Internet's your idol. Maybe sex is your idol. Maybe food is your idol. So, we talked about many idols a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't mention idol number one in America. So, I brought that idol today for you to see, the idol most Americans worship. You ready? (laughs) That's right, isn't it? Think about it. It it commands our attention. We're addicted. We we have it near us constantly. We're, We're on it constantly. We're checking it constantly. We can't even drive because of it. Some of you can't even make it through a sermon without it. And if I misplace it, we panic. I just got a text in the middle of my sermon. If it breaks, it's hard for us to function. We have to, we have to, is there any, what time do they close? Is anybody open till midnight? I've got to get it fixed. And if somebody threatens to take it away, ooh, fury. If a parent or a teacher threatens to take this from, oh my goodness, fire in your eyes. I was going to do something for this sermon and I was going to look up on, online. Uh, I thought I'd heard an instance of where a teenager killed their parent because they took their phone from them. And I Googled it. And there are a bunch of stories tennessee and new york and you name it a lot of stories teen's phone taken away by his mom so so he killed his mom dad took phone away he killed his dad what over this it's incredible But, but be careful the god you choose because there's going to come a day You you need that God to do some things for you. And it can't. Because it's going to have eyes that can't see and ears it can't hear. And a mind that doesn't understand. So, let's find out what my God can do. Say, Siri... Cure my cancer. (laughs) Hey, Siri, cure my cancer. I didn't get that. Could you try again? (laughs) She didn't get it. Hey, Siri, heal my body. I'm not sure I understand. Hey, Siri, pay my bills for me. She left. (laughs) Hey, Siri, pay my bills. Sorry, I can't help you with that. (laughs) Hey, Siri, take me to heaven. Hey Siri, take me to heaven. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> Worthless idol. Eyes that can't see. Ears that can't hear. Have no idea <clears throat> what I'm <you're> talking about. <laughs> Folks, there comes a day you're going to need God not Siri and you need to make sure you're worshiping the right one he's the only one that sees and hears and moves and thinks and acts and speaks and loves you and walks with you don't turn away from him then here was the second promise letter B The positive promise, starting verses 29 to 30, the promise, if you return to God, I will be with you. Look at what Moses says. Verse 29, but from there, where? Outside the land. But from there, if you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you search for him with all your heart with all your soul even though you were faithless even though you're in the land even though you were kicked out if you will turn he'll take you back now i want you to notice here there this is no casual returning to god It's the word bakash that's used here. It means to strive. It means to desire earnestly. It means to beg with all your heart and with all your soul. Sometimes people want to casually find God. You're not going to find Him. You only find Him when you search for Him with your heart, soul, and strength. This morning, if you say, well, you know, my life's not going very well, I'll give church a try. And you go to church, you're not going to find him. You're not going to find him in a casual stroll. You'll walk out going, ah, it didn't work. But... If you say, God, I need you, I've messed my life up, I need you, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, rose powerfully in the third day, and I need you in my life, I'm giving my life over to you, I'll obey your word, and you're my new master and Lord. He, you'll find God. And he'll find you. It's interesting what Moses said next. The first portion, verses 25 to 28, Moses was speaking in the second person plural. Now, starting in verse 29, he starts speaking first person plural. What does that mean? First verses 25 to 28, he's talking to the group. 29 and 30, when he says, but if you return to God, he starts talking to individuals. If you'll return, if you'll return, if you'll, re- if you'll, return, if you'll return, if you'll return, if you'll return, if you'll return. He starts talking to individuals. saying, so come back. And then he closes verse 30 with two keywords. The first word is return. Return. It's, you'll see it on the screen. It's the Hebrew word shuv. The B is pronounced like a V in, in Semitic languages, shuv. So, so one thousand times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shuv is used. One. So God has told his people over and over and over, return, return, return. You've wandered away, come back. You've wandered away, come back. You've wandered away, come back. Shuv, shove, shuv, return to me. In the New Testament, the equivalent is repent. It means to turn around. Back in, back in biblical days, they didn't, they didn't have signs or exits or they didn't have GPS or anything. And so they would, they would just kind of wonder. And, and if, they, if they didn't see anything familiar, they'd turn and go back. And so they, they were very familiar with shuv. And God kept telling them, you need to return to me. You've been gone too long. And the second word is the word shema. It's the word obey. Verse 30, return and obey. Shema means to hear. The word Shema is central in Judaistic prayer life today. It's the very center of Judaistic life of Orthodox Jews today because the Shema was given two chapters later, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, but it's the word hear. And so what he's saying is Shema means to hear and obey. So, So if you hear but you don't obey, you haven't heard biblically. The only time you've actually heard is when you hear and do. And so the final two words, Moses standing there before the next generation, they're probably looking at him with eyes like this, and he's got fire in his eyes, and he's saying, return to God and listen to him. I know that that uh, probably most of you know Chuck Norris. Um, here, here's a picture of him, you'll see on the screen, martial arts champion, actor, eight-time world champion in martial arts, has black belts in three different kinds of martial arts. He was an actor, a film star, uh, played in the Delta Force. Uh, he played eight seasons a television show called Walker, Texas Ranger. Some of you have been at First Peters Garland long enough you probably remember when they filmed two episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger at our church, in our facilities. Uh, That was quite some time ago. But Chuck Norris was raised in in California by a single mom, he and his sister. Dad left him. And so his mom tried as best she could to raise him in a Christian home. But he was pretty wild. At the age of 12, he went to a Billy Graham crusade, and around that time came to know Jesus as Savior. But very quickly, like the Israelites, he, he settled into life and forgot God. Graduated high school, went to the military, started acting, wandered away from the Christian faith, did not live anything, he said, like a believer, fathered an illegitimate child, He divorced his wife after 30 years, ran off with another woman. He married a new wife, Gina, but something interesting happened. Gina became a Christian. She got saved. And one day, Chuck Norris came home, and Gina's on the couch reading her Bible. And he said, oh, no. You're, You're not going to become one of those religious fanatics, are you? And she didn't respond. But she kept reading consistently. And so Chuck Norris started reading the Bible again too. And he said one day he was reading it and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, Chuck, you you need to come back to Christ and finish what I started in you when you were 12. You need me to, to be the Lord of your life again. Chuck Norris said, you're right. He repented of his past, of his sins. He listened to God. He came back to him. He returned. And he and his wife, Gina, began growing in their faith. If you notice some of the later episodes that he filmed, much more emphasis on faith. Chuck Norris said, quote, I walked away from my faith in Christ. It can happen in the movie industry fast. You can lose sight of what's really important, and I did, and I lost my marriage because of it. But he started being a strong Christian influence in the Hollywood circles after that. Continues today. Different areas now. In fact, he is a part of the Trinity Broadcasting Network and Make the Wish Foundation, very outspoken in Hollywood. He also has started what's called the Kickstart Foundation. He's in 6,500 schools, he and his wife Gina, where they they teach martial arts and put biblical principles and scripture memory with it. 6,500 schools. He also works for the Billy Graham Association because he said he wanted to give back something that made an influence on him when he was 12. And here's what he did. He returned... He repented, and he listened and obeyed. And that's the bottom line when you're out of the land. And I know there are some out of the land here, some out of the land online. Come back. Shuv Shema. Return. Return. God, thank you today for your word and that you love us enough that once we're expelled from the land, we're not just ignored. Lord, if we we truly seek you urgently, we'll find you. And so, Father, I pray for those today who need you. I pray, Lord, that they'll find you. They seek you with all their heart. Lord, I pray for those today who need to make decisions, those who have never received Jesus as Savior for the very first time, may today be the day they repent of their sins and come to you. And God, I pray for those, whether they're online or whether they're here in our worship center, that today's the day they need to come back to the good land, that they'll do it. God, that they will return and they'll obey and you'll receive them. Thank you for Jesus making it possible. In his name we pray.